0: Even with this passage, <laughs> this passage, if you thought like last week's passage was harsh, this week's passage is even harsher. And so Paul, I feel like we've been going through 1 Corinthians, and, and I feel like Paul has been building up, and now like chapter 6, he's, he's given it to the church at Corinth here. And so if some of you guys, when Aaron read that passage, if some of you guys cringed a little bit, I think that's the effect that Paul wants. So we're going to talk through that this morning. Um, and so let me just give you a quick synopsis on our Rethink series. We've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've dealt with different topics each week. Last week, we talked about sin. We've talked about identity. We've talked about discipleship. We've talked about leadership. Today, we're going to talk about community and, and what community is in the church and what it should be. And, and then how our community is and what it should be. And then how we should be in our city. So we're going to walk through all those things. So One thing I love about Toronto, there's a lot of things I love about Toronto. Um, but one thing is all the restaurants here. You can get any food here, right? I was talking with someone this morning who said there's, there's even a Kyrgyz restaurant in Toronto. Like of all things. I mean, there's Italian, Spanish, Mexican, you guys you guys can name them all. There's a Sri Lankan place right over here. Uh, you know, Chinatowns everywhere. Um, yeah, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I just mean there's one here and one there. <laughs> all right, here's a little here's here's a little funny aside. So, my illustration, this is an aside to that. Yesterday, we were we were driving to a birthday party and the girls were in the car and Reagan, my five-year-old looks out the window, and she's like, "Daddy," or I think she said, "Mommy." There's, there's, I see a lot of trees, and we're like, "Yeah, okay." We're like on university, <laughs> like by sick kids. Like, there's no trees there, <laughs> but yeah, we're at like Gerard and University, and and we're like, "Yeah, yeah, trees." And she's just random like that, and and she says, "Trees, trees give us everything." She's like, "Air, and fruit, and paper." And and I was like, yeah, trees give us a lot. And she's like, and China. I was like, nice. She's been reading her tags. Um, (laughs) And her toys. (laughs) So um, back to, (laughs) back to, what were we talking about? Restaurants. So, yes, some of you guys are just getting that. So back to restaurants. There's everything here. One thing, one restaurant, one type we didn't mention is Thai food. All right, we have a lot of Thai restaurants. I'm half Thai. Uh, I spent a lot of my childhood in Thailand. I've eaten Thai food in Northern Thailand, in Central Thailand, in Southern Thailand. I've had Thai food in other countries, Vietnam, America, Canada. Uh, we, I make Thai food. I used to. haven't done it in a while. But I can make Thai food. <laughs> Even Missy can make Thai food. Um, that's something that we did early on. And uh, my mom makes great Thai. I ate Thai food all, all growing up in my house. It wasn't like our default, but um, we had Thai probably once a week in my house growing up. And something my family always loves doing is going out to Thai restaurants and eating Thai food. That's, that's awesome, but they always complain about... <laughs> they're, like, they're searching for like the best Thai restaurant, the most authentic one. And the only one my mom's gone back to twice that she loves is actually in Toronto. It's called Pai, downtown Toronto. Um, and every time she's here, she, we try a different Thai restaurant, but that's one she wants to go back to over and over. Uh, so the thing is, for me, because I'm so familiar with Thai food, when I go to a Thai restaurant, the menu's going to tell me everything. If they don't have either one or two of these dishes on the menu then it's not authentic enough because it's not deep enough. It's, it's, if you go to a Thai restaurant and you order Pad Thai, not Pad Thai, but if you order Pad Thai, which is what, how it's pronounced, if you order Pad Thai, it's like going to the keg and getting a hot dog. And you're like, hey, do you guys have hot dogs here? Um, because Pad Thai is a street food. You go to Thailand, it's everywhere on the street. Um, and it's cheap. So you don't, you don't go to a Thai restaurant and get Pad Thai. On the other hand, Pad Thai should be good. It should be more brown than it is orange. Uh, it shouldn't have ketchup in it. You know, the, those things. Uh, that's not authentic. But if the two dishes I look for are Patsi U, if anyone knows what that is, and bai Bida Prow, if anyone knows what that is, it's basically like your chicken hot basil dish. And if they do those well, if they even have them on the menu, they're probably going to do them well, and Pai has, has one of these on the menu, then it's a good Thai restaurant. And... The thing is, like I said, my parents always complain because it's not authentic. And this is where we are in the church. This is where we are in this letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. We're at this point where the community is not looking like the authentic community of Christ. And Paul is saying, you're supposed to be this. You're supposed to have these dishes. You're not supposed to make pad thai with ketchup. You're, you're supposed to be able to do this well, and you're not doing it well. And you're not showcasing who you are. You're actually uh, being detrimental to the name of Christ. You're sullying the name of Jesus. And that's why chapter 6 is so harsh-sounding. And I love Aaron he even read it. He read it kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, when you would even just look at the words on the page, you're like, "Wow, Paul's kind of—he's yelling at them, right? This is this is a harsh passage, and we'll we'll walk through it. Um, but I want you to remember this statement as we walk through this passage: is that the kind of community we have displays the kind of Christ we have. The kind of community we have displays the kind of Christ we have. If you don't hear anything else. Take that statement all through the passage um, so let's look at let 's look at it, starting in verse one Paul writes, uh, when one of you has a grievance against another so let 's just stop there so grievance Paul is assuming this is happening right in community there's going to be grievance we 're going to have disputes we 're going to have quarrels we 're going to have grievances against one another and paul so paul's issue isn't that they're having grievances necessarily, although we'll talk about it in a second, but it's how maybe how they're handling the grievances. Look, here's, here's the reality. If we don't have uh, or our community is going to be defined by how we handle grievances and quarrels and struggles in the church. How we handle a grievance can make or break community. Without grievance, we actually have a pretty superficial community. We're, we're just on the surface. It's when we actually start working together below the surface that we're going we're gonna to butt heads a little bit. But it's how we handle that and move forward that says something about the type of community we have. So if it's handled poorly, if grievance and um, quarrels are handled poorly, the tendency is for community to be in jeopardy. It's for it to break down. When grievance is handled biblically and correctly and accurately, and especially for us in the church, biblically is, is the, uh, the adverb we want to attach to how we handle community, then it's actually going to cause community in our church to thrive instead of crumble. So when it's handled poorly, remember, it puts our community in jeopardy, but when we handle it biblically and accurately and, and well and right, then it has the tendency to make our community thrive. And that's what we want to show uh, to our city. And Paul here is saying, when one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare go to, go to law? So dare there is this, this really strong word where he's saying, you're bold enough to do this? you have enough courage to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? And here, we'll talk about this in a second, but he's not, he's not saying, oh, the unrighteous, they don't know anything. He's actually saying the saints, in verse two, here's two reasons. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And that's the first thing. And if the world is be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? So this is very strong language for Paul, um, or from Paul. And in verse three, here's the second reason: Do you not know that we are to judge angels? We're not going to chase that uh, and talk about what that means today. Uh, but Paul just kind of throws it in there um, in the context of this passage. Basically, the argument is: If you're even if you if us as a church, if we're going to judge these high spiritual beings. Then we, can, then we can judge these trivial matters. Then we can discern between these. Then we have enough wisdom to, to discern this. He says, how much more then matters pertaining to this life if, we, if we're going to j- be judging the angels? Again, you can ask me later how that's going to work. Uh, Paul doesn't deal with it here. He just makes a statement and, and moves on. And, uh, but he says here, you're even incompetent to judge trivial matters. So two things. One, He says, like, what you're quarreling about, it doesn't even matter. Like, you guys are quarreling about this, you're arguing about this, and it has no real significance. Does that sound familiar to anybody? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Those of you who are married are, like, elbowing your spouse right now. You're like, yeah, he's talking about you. (laughs) You, you you complain about things all the time. Uh, does this sound familiar at work? Does this sound familiar? Uh, and a lot of times we're, we're thinking of the other. You're probably thinking about the other person right now. How about you turn that into you? Because your spouse is thinking about you. You're thinking about your spouse, your friends, your your coworkers. Uh, we make a huge deal out of trivial matters a lot of times. And Paul's Paul's like. He's trivializing their trivial matters. He's like, they don't even, they don't even matter. There's, there's no real significance to these matters. And you're making a big deal out of them. And he's like, you're even incompetent to discern between them. And to, and to, um, to help each other out here and to uh, mend the grudges. So, uh, he says, how much more than matters pertaining to this life? So, if you have, in verse 4 any such if you have such cases why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church and here he's talking about we as as the church remember in 1 Corinthians he's just said two things we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and the church has the spirit of the living god dwelling with it and we have those two things and he says why aren't you handling this? Why would you take this before the law, before the unbelievers or unrighteous, as he says in in both instances, when we're the ones who have the discerning powers according to the Spirit. We have the mind of Christ, he says. You should be able to handle things between brothers and sisters. But in family, he says, we have the Spirit of God directing us and guiding us. You should be able to handle this. You shouldn't make a fool of yourselves in the courts of law. And Paul has no issues with, with the courts. He has no issues with the law. Um, in fact, in Romans 13, he says that they're there for a reason. But he says, when we're talking about issues like this, you guys should be able to handle it. Um, so he goes in and he says in verse five, I say this to your shame. It's, it's interesting because in, verse, uh, in chapter four, verse 14, he's writing things and he says, I don't say this uh, to, to make you ashamed. I don't say this to shame you. But then here he's saying, actually, in this case, I'm saying this to shame you because something's off something's really off here. So he says here, I say this to your shame. Can it be? Is it possible? He's like, I can't even fathom and I can't even believe that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers. But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. And so a lot of times you're, you're heading in, in your Bible might talk about lawsuits and stuff, and, and a lot of people who preach this, this, ver, uh, this chapter go to lawsuits and how Christians, lawsuits, blah blah. We're not going to follow that rabbit trail. This is about community and how we're supposed to be in community. Because if we're not just superficial community and we get to where we're, we're handling grievances into true community, then we're going to be able to live these, these verses out. And we're going to be able to um, take take our instances where we're quarreling and butting heads, and work through them, and be stronger from it, and see our community thrive through it. And so, confrontation often gets a um, a bad rap, but in the church, we should be willing and open to confront and be confronted. That's community. That's how we, we um, hold each other accountable. That's how we love one another. That's how we serve one another. That's how we build one another up. All these things that the Bible says the church is to do and is for, we do these through uh, community and community that deals with grievances. And Paul's saying, you're a different type of community. You're supposed to be, but you're not living like it. And you're taking this before unbelievers. One, they don't have the mind of Christ. They don't have the spirit of God. But two... You're just being a bad witness. You're sullying the name of Jesus before unbelievers and you're making Jesus look bad. And the kind of community you have displays the kind of Christ you have. And how are people gonna trust in Jesus to make peace between them and God and between them and each other, which is what Paul says in Ephesians, if you can't even live peacefully and and in harmony as brothers and sisters in Christ. It says something to the world that it shouldn't say and you're hurting the name of Jesus here. Actually, so um any lefties in here? Yeah, yeah, two? That's it. Nobody else is a, is a lefty. Oh man, when Daniel and Linda left, they took two lefties. So, Linda was a lefty, Justin's a lefty. So, they cut our lefties in half. Um all right, so this is for you lefties. I read some awesome things about left-handed people this week. For you right-handed people, you won't understand um, our our plight. So, like, scissors, you guys just use scissors normally. You think they're awesome. Scissors don't work for left-handed people. The blades are, are switched. So, we live in a right-handed world. But, um, I... <laughs> you guys... So, left-handed people. There's only 10% of us, which... Yeah, we're lower than that percentage in this room. So there's only 10% of us in the world. So we're, we're very rare. Um, <laughs> that's the truth. These are stats. <laughs> Missy's shaking her head. Uh, and actually, for me, I'm even rarer because I'm both left-handed and right-handed. So um, like it's, it's weird. I, I'm not completely left or, or right-brained. Um, so I do, yeah, anyways, so left-handed people are rare, um, and uh, a couple other things, one, so if you look at, an <laughs> I'm going to say the good things, I'm going to say the bad things, if you look at an intelligence spectrum, here you guys go, shaking your heads, <laughs> no, no, hear me out, I'm not saying left-handed people are smarter, left-handed people tend more towards the extremes, okay. So left-handed people tend... So if there's a center for you normal people... <laughs> left-handed people tend towards being less intelligent on the extreme, even to, to mental impairment, and on the other extreme to genius, which is, I'm assuming, where we're David, Aaron, and I have are, are leaning towards. Um, so, like, o- Obama, Mozart, Einstein... Um, uh, Beethoven like these, are all, these are all left-handed people <laughs> uh, Chan these are all left-handed people <laughs> who tend towards, towards genius that are going to do awesome things in the world so um, but left-handed people also it used to be believed that left-handed people uh, tended towards alcoholism which has 2011 studies said that's not true but they do drink more I don't know why Maybe that's, that's just the tendency. Um, in a lot of countries in the world, uh, in, a lot of, in a couple languages, Sanskrit, Arabic, the word for left is actually the same word uh, uh, as uh, for evil. Um, and in a lot of cultures in the world, using your left hand for things is, is, not, a good, is not a good thing. So, fortunately, we, we live in the West. Um, but uh, also, left-handed people tend more towards emotional outbursts. <laughs> uh, they're, they're more emotional. Um, they're more, and I don't mean like boo-hoo, I mean like, like anger, uh, impulsive, um, things like that, in, in general. So here's, we're going to practice community this morning. And I'm going to confess a sin to you this morning. So uh, this, is, this is community. Community should be tr- genuine, transparent community. And one of my biggest sins, the biggest sin I struggle with, is anger. When I say anger, uh, not all sin is anger. Uh, or not all anger is sin. But when I express my anger in an emotional outburst. Um, and so uh, this past week, I was driving on the road... And you can already see, already see where this is going. It's driving on the road. And the past four months have been... Anger has been an issue that I inherited from my father. <laughs> oh, and he knows. We actually work on it together. Um, where, uh, I mean, I just saw his example, right? And, um, and so it's been an issue I've, I've dealt with and improved on. And most of you guys, when you hear anger as my biggest issue you're like, what? That, that doesn't make any sense. You're always smiling, you're always happy. Um, and it's not that I hide it well, it's that uh, the Spirit has transformed me very much so over the past few years. And some of you guys who are with me in different environments have seen it in different environments. <laughs> I see you looking at me, Kelly. Don't look at me, Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and where was I? <laughs> Kelly's like eyes are boring into the side of my sk- skull here <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> um, uh, but for the most part uh, it only comes out every so often and over the past four months I feel like I've regressed. It's been an emotional past four months with us, you know, with Daniel and Linda leaving it's been very emotional and that's triggered some, some anger in me. So I was driving on the road this past uh, week. Dropped the girls off at school, headed to a meeting, and uh, the road was clear. It was nine in the morning, and I was the only car at um, Kiel and, and Bloor. Is it Kiel? Yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy. No street cars or anything, which is, a, it's a really busy intersection. Um, only car, and this lady almost sideswipes me. She just comes in, and I have to slam on the brakes in order for her not to and what's funny is I was talking to someone on the phone through the Bluetooth speakers in the car. And so <laughs> he's hearing everything. And, and I, I lay on my horn. He's like, he's like, what was that? And I was like, oh, man, this lady just cut me off. And so we pull up to the next light, and she's, like, making motions at me. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I don't know about you guys. Maybe this is the American in me. My first impulse is actually to get out of the car. (laughs) Yeah, that happens. Um, It's crazy. Like, I just black out. It's like the Hulk takes over. And I just black out. I don't even know where I am. So I start yelling at this lady. and And then I didn't curse at her or anything like that. I'm just yelling stuff and... And, and then I roll up my window <laughs> and it was like raining and everything um, and I'm like oh. my first thought was like what did I just do it's like it, I come back and I'm like what just happened my first thought is always what if she comes into Trinity Life on Sunday morning <laughs> so if you're here this morning I am so sorry I don't see you in here but please forgive me Um, that's my first thought, and then I'm like, ah, and I start driving again, and my buddy is like, hey, are you still there? I'm like, oh shoot, (laughs) he heard the whole thing, (laughs) he was on the phone the whole time, I'd totally forgotten he was, like, in the car with me, um, I was like, I'm so sorry about that, yeah, he knows me really well, so... Um, He's seen that a little bit. Um, But my first thought is, wow, what if she comes in to Trinity Life on Sunday morning, not what is she going to think about me, what is she going to think about Jesus? What is she going to think about what the church represents in our city, that I'm up here talking about this, and she's like, isn't that the guy that just... (laughs) Cursed at me this week. Is he the guy who yelled at me? Um, and uh, and that should be your first question. When we handle disputes, when we when we have grievances, our first question should be: What does this say about Jesus? How am I representing him? Am I representing Jesus well? Am I showing people who? Jesus is and and who the Jesus is that he's shown to me, how Jesus has revealed himself to me. Am I showing that to others? Or am I carrying the name of Jesus in a different way? And for us, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, there's a huge responsibility on us to carry the name of Jesus around and represent him well. Because you're not just representing yourself, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And that's where I can say to this, this lady or whoever it is, I, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. Don't, don't look at Jesus like, like you saw me act. Because Jesus is not that way. But we have this huge responsibility to show our city Jesus. But if we can't even show each other Jesus in here, how are we going to do that out there? If we can't even handle disputes in here, how are we going to show our city Jesus? That light is going to be snuffed out. And so... We have this, and, and you might say, well, that's not fair. I didn't, as a follower of Jesus, I didn't sign up for that. But you did. Jesus gave himself for you, and in turn, you gave yourself to Jesus. And your life, Paul says, is in Christ. Your life is, is actually Christ. And you get to show that to the world. And so for, for the Corinthian believers here, Paul is trying to wake them up to that. He's saying, you're doing this before unbelievers. And verse 7, he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat. It's already a loss for you that you're, that you're even having lawsuits. So the, it's not that uh, the lawsuit itself is, is bad. Um, he's just saying, why well, should it even get to that point? It shouldn't even get there. You guys should be better than that. You've received so much more than that. Isn't Jesus more to you than your disputes? Yes. So That's awesome. And, and he says here, get this, he says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather suffer injustice? Why not rather be defrauded? And that word there is, why not rather be robbed? That's crazy, right? That goes against everything we know. That goes against everything we are in our flesh. We, we want... We want what's ours, right? And he says, Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather have something taken from you and be like, that's okay. This is the kingdom culture. This is how Christ works. This is how when Jesus talks about the Sermon on the Mount, when he gives this sermon, his first sermon, and he talks about the kingdom, he says, This is how the kingdom works. That if someone slaps you on one cheek, you give them the other cheek. If someone forces you to go one mile, you go with them two miles. If someone sues you for your tunic, you give them your cloak. He says, because those things aren't yours. And it's a recognition of who we are in Christ and what God has given us that gets us to this point. And I know some of you guys are saying, well, what are we supposed to do? Just lie down and let everyone walk over us? maybe what if that's what we're supposed to do isn't that what Jesus did didn't he lay his life down for us our reaction is to well up is to rise up Jesus his reaction was, was to lie down and maybe who we're following isn't Jesus maybe you're following somebody else like, like Peter Let's, I'll give you an example, a couple of examples about, about Peter here um just a little verses. Christ's characteristics versus Peter's pattern. And the first one is unity versus division. This is out of John 21. Uh, Jesus shows us unity is, is better than div- division. But Peter, this is after Jesus has, has been raised from the dead. And Jesus has appeared to the disciples. And he's shown himself to them in his resurrected form, in his resurrected body. And And then he leaves. And right after that, Peter says... In uh, chapter 21 of, of the Gospel of John, he says, hey guys, I'm going fishing. <laughs> it's so weird. He's just like, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples are like, okay, we'll, we'll come too. And what, what you read in there is, is Peter, he doesn't know what else to do. And he's just like, I'm going to go back to what I used to do. I was a fisherman. And I'm going to go back to that. And I'm just going to go uh, live my life doing that. And that night, they catch nothing until Jesus shows up. And Jesus makes another appearance. And then they catch this huge load of fish, 153 fish, the the gospel says. And, And they bring them in. Because everything changes when Jesus shows up. And then he tells Peter... To feed my sheep, lead my church, lead my people, uh, and he he preaches community and unity to him instead of division. And what's awesome about this passage is it parallels Peter's calling. Peter's calling in Luke chapter five is Peter's fishing, and he's not catching anything. And Jesus shows up and he says, "Hey, throw your net over there," and they throw their nets over. And Peter argues with him at first. He's like, well, whatever. So he does it. And they bring in so much fish that the nets are breaking. They have to bring other boats to come up and and haul in all these fish. And and then um, the disciples follow Jesus. Same thing is happening here in John 21. They're going out, no fish. Jesus shows up, load of fish, but the nets aren't breaking this time. And the disciples are there, and there's tremendous unity, and Jesus says the same thing to Peter here at the end of the gospel that he said to him at the beginning of the gospel, follow me. So Peter, and and for a lot of us, we tend towards division, but in Christian community, and if we're going to show this to our world, and to our city, and to each other, uh, we need to tend towards unity. This is very unique in the Christian community. And you can find community in a lot of places, guys, right? You can find community at sports clubs, gaming clubs, work-related things. Um, you know, there's community centers all around the city. But these five things that we're about to go through make Christian community unique when they all happen together. The first one's unity. The second one is um, sympathy-slash-consideration versus rashness. So we see Peter... He's very rash. But uh, what we should tend towards is sympathy or consideration for others. And that's what that word means. It's it's considering how your decisions are going to affect others. Most of us tend towards making rash decisions. And you might say, well, I'm I'm slower at making decisions. But how do you make those decisions? Are they for your benefit? Or are they in consideration of others? Or consideration of how this is going to look for the church or for Jesus? And the example here is coming out of Matthew 16. And this is, this is a kind of funny passage. Um, Peter has just, Jesus says, Hey, who do you guys think I am? And Peter just has confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he's just declared this. Uh, this is the, the first declaration of this in, in the gospel here. And he just says something so theologically profound that Jesus says, you're blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. The Spirit did. My Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. And then the very next passage, just a few verses later, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Then I'm going to raise on the third day. And Peter's like, hey, Jesus, come over here. And it says Peter takes Jesus aside. He's like, hey. And then he rebukes him, (laughs) and he says, "Like you're not doing that. There's no way you're going to die. There's no way you're going to do this." And Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan! You're hindering. You're hindering me, for you're setting your mind on things of God, not on the things of man." And Jesus redirects him to, out of rashness, into considering what his actions do. And he says, you need to consider the things of God, not the things of man. So a lot of us, we, we tend towards rashness, but the community, it's, it's um, characterized by sympathy and consideration for others. So uh, the third one, <coughs> love versus harm. Oftentimes we, we pit love against hate, and I put harm here for a specific reason, because a lot of us, most of you guys probably don't feel like you have hate in you. You probably don't feel like you, you hate. Um, but harm is, is something we do all the time. This is, and, and most of you guys, you may think physical. We're, we're not, not necessarily talking about physical harm, although there's, there's that too. But emotional, mental, spiritual harm that, that you inflict on others and that you receive from others. And we see a pattern of this in Peter. And again, Jesus has to show him what, what the right path is. And this is the passage where... Uh, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and Peter's first reaction is to take a sword and cut a guy's ear off. <laughs> he just takes a sword and he chops this guy's ear off. Christ's first reaction is to pick that ear up and put it back on his head. That's love. And Peter, uh, just—he, his first reaction is to harm. And you might be one of those people. I don't know if you're stuck in a cycle of harm in a cycle of hurt, uh, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your workplace, where you're just used to receiving hurt, you're just used to receiving harm. And so you give out hurt, you give out harm. You, know, you always you hear the, the, um, uh, the phrase, uh, hurt people hurt people, right? Um, and sometimes you just get stuck in this cycle of, of hurt, and we're used to it. We're used to receiving it, we're used to giving it out. And the only way to break that cycle is through love, and it's a choice. And it's through choosing to love. It's through choosing not to uh, overly criticize. It's 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 by choosing not to tear somebody down. It's by choosing to put aside that grievance and that dispute that really is very trivial, and loving instead. And Jesus shows us that example here. So unity, sympathy, love. And then the next one is compassion versus selfishness this is coming out of John 18 and most of us all of us tend towards being selfish right i mean we're just we're just that way we we're built that way we're born that way we tend towards being selfish and the opposite here is compassion. And we see this in Peter, his selfishness, when he denies Jesus. He's his Jesus is his best friend. He's lived with Jesus for three and a half years. They've done ministry. He sent Jesus heal people, make people walk, raise people from the dead. He's seen all kinds of awesome things. And yet when Jesus gets arrested, what does Peter do? He says, I don't even know that guy. Three times. No, nope. I've never seen him before. I don't even, I don't know, which is kind of crazy for him to say because everybody had seen Jesus before. Everybody knew who Jesus was in that region. He's like, no, uh, I was not one of his people. I was not with him. I don't know who he is. And he does that three times. And we see that Jesus's first reaction when he sees Peter isn't to condemn him, isn't to rebuke him, but it's to show him passion, uh, compassion and to restore him to what he was, to what he should be. And he takes Peter and he says, feed my sheep, love me and uh, lead my church and he restores them. Then he leads with compassion, not with selfishness and the church, we're supposed to do that because we've received it from Jesus. He's given it to us and we get to give it out. So unity, sympathy, love, compassion. The last one is humility versus arrogance. This is Matthew 18. We see Peter here again uh, Jesus has, has just told, <clears throat> he just talked about what, what you do when someone sins against you. And Peter says, hey Jesus, when someone sins against, when someone sins against me, what, should I forgive them up to seven times? And you think, oh, well, Peter's actually like seven times is a lot. If someone does the same sin against you, to forgive them seven times. And so Peter probably thinks he's being pretty good here. He has this arrogance like, hey, Jesus, I can even do up to seven times. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Why don't you take that number and multiply it? He says seven times 70 times. And basically what Jesus is saying, it's a countless number. You're going to forgive so much that you lose count. That it doesn't matter if someone keeps on sinning against you. You've received this much forgiveness. And so you're going to forgive this much. He says you need to lead not from a place where you're above them, but from a place where uh, you know what you've received, and the power. He teaches Peter in that moment that the power of forgiveness isn't in isn't in the power you have over others to forgive. It's in knowing how forgiven you've been, and our matters are so. Well, this word here, where Paul says, "trivial." these trivial cases, these trivial matters, this word literally means they're infinitesimally small issues. They're so tiny. They're microscopic. We can't even see them. They're they're of no real significance. And he says, you serve a great, infinite God. How much more so do those matters look when you recognize how infinitely great he is, how infinitesimally small we are, and how much he's forgiven us and given us grace and mercy. And that's what you should give out. And so Paul is saying, you can't even do that among your brothers. And what's worse in verse eight, he says, it's not that you're wronging and defrauding those outside in the world, you're doing it to your own family. And that is not Christian community. Christian community has to look like unity, sympathy, love, compassion, humility. We're supposed to follow Christ's example, not Peter's example. What's awesome is that Peter, unity, sympathy, love, compassion, humility. These are what I call the first five. This is coming out of First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter writes this for the church later. And he learned this. And he taught it to us. And he says, the church is to be defined by these things. So Peter, as much as we bash him this morning, he learns that this is what the church is supposed to be like. Unity, sympathy, love, compassion, and humility. All right. The last verses, 9 through 11, are the ones that you're probably waiting for me to get to, but we're going to spend the least amount of time on. Because uh, these verses are very often taken out of context of what I just laid out for you in terms of community. And, and what Paul is doing here, you can see, he's, he has a list here. But what Paul is doing, he's not listing sins. He's not saying, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And what he's definitely not doing is taking one sin out of those lists, out of that list, and making it more grievous than the others. So we have a tendency to do that as well. Um, In the church, we have a bad rap for talking about homosexuality um, and ignoring the greedy. Uh, We have a bad rap for talking about those who are drunkards, but ignoring uh, uh, the idolaters. And so Paul isn't saying one above the other here. He's just saying, look, don't be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because you know who will inherit the kingdom of God? The meek, the poor in spirit. Those who suffer for righteousness' sake. That's the kingdom of God. These are the Beatitudes. Those are the ones who are blessed. And the ones who have succumbed and submitted to a lifestyle of these sins. And you see here, he's not just listing sins. He's talking about a lifestyle here that people have just succumbed and been fooled and been deceived by the world. And that's why he says, don't be deceived. Like, and we can't fault them for it. He says, we can't fault the world for it. They've been deceived. They have a veil over their hearts. They are, they're blinded. And guess what? We're supposed to show them the light of Christ and the power of the gospel by the community we live in. And we get to show them who our Jesus is through that. And that's why he says, such were some of you. And he reminds you, that's who you were. Don't condemn them. That's who you were. And you get to show them that in Christ, there's no more condemnation. In Christ, we don't have to worry about those things anymore because our identity is not in those things anymore. Our identity is not in our sin. Our identity is in Christ Jesus and him alone. And when it is, he says, you know that you've been washed. You know that you're sanctified. You know that you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. And all those, all those verbs there show us that it's nothing that we did. The difference between us and unbelievers or the unrighteous as Paul says here is only Christ's righteousness. It's not our righteousness. We're just as helpless to to create righteousness as anybody else in this world. We're just as helpless to create holiness or purity or mercy or love as anybody else is in this world. We can only do these things through the spirit of the living God who is in our midst. And even when that's the case, we do it poorly. And Paul is saying you're not supposed to do it poorly. You're supposed to press into the Spirit here. And you're supposed to stop taking your disputes outside into the world. Do you know who else takes a brother and puts him before the courts in the Scriptures? The Pharisees do. And they take Jesus, their brother. They take Jesus, their fellow Jew. They take Jesus, their fellow teacher, fellow rabbi. And they bring him before the Romans and they say, we can't handle this dispute. This guy's this and this and this. And on that day, the holy is declared unholy. The innocent is declared guilty. The truth is exchanged for a lie. And Paul is saying, we can handle these things here because we show the world something when we do it that way. And we're to follow Jesus into unity and sympathy and compassion, consideration, love, humility. And when and if we're a community like that, the world's gonna want to be a part of this. The world's gonna say, I don't see that anywhere else. And I want to know why you're like this. And we get to point them to Jesus and we get to love them in the name of Jesus and say it's all because of him. And so if you are not a believer in here this morning, if you consider yourself uh, not a follower of Jesus, that's who our Jesus is. And I hope that our community can represent that to you and to our, and to our city. If you are a follower of Jesus, your charge this morning is to put aside your grievances is to put aside your preferences, is to consider others, is to love, is to unity, is to compassion. If you have a grudge this morning, if you have a grievance this morning, you need to take care of it before, before you um, enter into unity in the Lord's table. You need to give that to God. Especially if it's in here. Because we're not a church that... that that wants to live in discord and disharmony we want to live in unity and love and compassion because if we can do it here and we can do it well we can do that in our city let's pray thank you so much Jesus for this passage of scripture even though it's hard to hear and it's harsh uh, it needs to tear down some things in us in order to build some things in us so thank you for doing that this morning we submit ourselves to you And we just pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out TrinityLife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.